0: And you may be seated. I am always humbled, truly humbled by the fact that this great Bible conference that has gone on for so many, many years would even ask me to speak. And I mean that, honestly, when I look around and realize how many capable preachers there are here. I am not a preacher. I am a teacher. But I have also been taught by a father and by my husband to obey those who have the rule over me. Strictly by my husband, I have been taught that. (laughs) And so in this meeting, Brother Cox seems to have uh, the rule over me and he has asked me to again speak to you. Thank you, Brother Cox. I do not take it lightly. I spent a lot of thought, prayer, and what the Lord would have me share with you and I would like to tell you that he changed my mind what I had planned originally uh, the Lord spoke to me a few days ago and altered my plans I am coming to you today with a subject and by the way before I do let me encourage you that if you are moved or touched or interested in what I have to say I, I, I had not read this until after I had gotten into this study of fasting but it is a fantastic little book. And also there is a new, those women of you who are familiar with the promise book, there is a new one out, God's Power Through Prayer, that puts in a very concise, nothing but scripture. There's no commentary. It is only scripture. But it lists many, in fact, most of the prayers in the Bible are listed in this little book and how God answered them, the intercessory prayers and such. It's a a very wonderful tool to help you develop prayer life. I, it seems that coming to Bogalusa Bible Conference has always been a spiritual odyssey for me. Uh, this is several years that I have spoken to you, and I remember speaking to you concerning the personality of Jesus. And what I speak publicly, and I say this without fear, is always what I am feeling intensely internally. Uh, I am an intense person, ask my husband. Uh, I, I just feel things intensely. And when I spoke to you about the personality of Jesus, the Lord was leading me down the road of this odyssey of growing like him to where I had to take a real close look at just how Jesus behaved. No great supernatural thing, but just how he behaved as a human. He is my example. And then I spoke to you one year, three days in a row, on discipleship and what it meant to be committed to discipleship. And then last year I came to you in the midst of a deep searching that has extended itself in a deep measure for probably 18 months at least on the subject of prayer with the word. Emphasis on the word and prayer. And today I come to you at another stopping place or another pausing point on my own spiritual journey and I will share with you what God has been saying to me. And the subject today is on fasting. This subject became illuminated to me out of desperation. I am a desperate woman we are convinced and if we aren't convinced we are hypocrites that we are living in the last days, we talk about it all the time and yet if we aren't very careful it becomes lip service i know that we are living in the last days if i really believe it see there's one thing you can know something another thing is for it to become an obsession with you if I really believe it, then I am desperate because of the times. Because there is going to be an ending, there's going to be a wrapping up, there's going to be a lot of traumatic happenings. I'm going to need direction and wisdom and strength and power like I've never needed it before. I am desperate. We pride ourselves, Pentecostals, on being truly apostolic. And I say this under the protection of my husband and under the fear of God. I do not hesitate to say that in doctrine we are apostolic. You can prove it scripture by scripture. In practice I am not sure. That is neither critical it is from a desperate search When was the last time you saw a demon cast out? When was the last time you saw a cripple walk? When was the last time someone rose not out of place but under that awesome stillness that only God's voice brings and spoke prophetically and gave guidance? When was the last time that a neighbor came to your house and said, my child is desperately sick? And you went into that room and stayed until that child was well and playing. I am convinced we are apostolic in doctrine. I am not convinced we are apostolic in practice. And doctrine without living it and without bringing it into the power of fulfillment can be dangerous. I studied a few years ago. Brother T and I were in uh, Idaho. We had just left from our camp meeting and we were starting another camp meeting. We went early to have a few days to recuperate and rest and I became enchanted with the study of the book of Daniel. I read an article of a woman by the name of Mary Crowley. It was an interview with her. Mary Crowley is a woman that has made her mark in the business world. She has made her mark in many ways. She is the founder and the establisher of Home Interior. She quoted in that that interview that she had been inspired by studying the life of Daniel and his excellence. And I said to myself, if Mary Crowley has been inspired by that study and has made her mark in the business world, what's wrong with you, Thetis, that you have not also studied the art of excellence, only not from a material standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint, which Mary Crowley, in all fairness, I will have to say she does that too. So in those few days of rest, I took the book of Daniel apart. I studied it not from the prophecy. That's all I had ever thought of with Daniel was prophecy. But I studied it from what made Daniel the man he was. We know him as in whom there was an excellent spirit that can also be translated in whom was excellence. I was amazed at what I found and since then, and uh, this is my introduction. There was a particular thing that began to eat at me. It has gnawed at me ever since. I have not, and I will come to you very honestly, I, I am striving hard for openness and honesty. It is not always easy. But I will tell you honestly, I have not arrived at what I am going to say to you today. I am going to point you down the road that I am attempting to walk. When I read in the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel that he understood by books, that was effort he studied. It's the Word of God. He, He said, I understood by books the number of the years whereof the Word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. He was into the Word. Not into books, not into sermons. He was into the Word. Starting that day, I have given myself to a study of the Word like I never had before. Verse 3, he said, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord, made my confession, kept my covenant, and it goes on down, But this has inspired me and I can see now, looking back down the road of my odyssey, where God has brought me from. An interest in the word, a striving for excellence, looking at the character of personality of Jesus Christ, disciplining myself, led me to the word and to prayer. And now he has absolutely lacerated my soul with fasting. We need revelation. i tell you the kind of revelation we need. We are staggering along through life and in these last days when times are so crucial, hoping we hit the right place, hoping we do the right thing. If we don't do this, we'll do something else because somebody else did it. We have got to come to a point of saying, God, will you please open to me your will in such a way that I can walk in it fearlessly, knowing that you will accomplish the purpose whereof you have called me. Daniel did it, and God did it for him. If he did it for Daniel, and I'm going to show you through the study today how many others he did it for, he will do it for us. After I had finished studying and praying this morning, I had a phone call with a friend of mine, and she did not know at the time that I was speaking on this, and I felt it was a confirmation, and I want to share it for you, with you. This is just... To let you know what can happen with fasting. We were talking about some plans that we're working on and she said there's a woman in my church by the name of Diane said she's into a very lengthy fast now. She said Thetis you remember her said she is the one who was in prayer and fasting when we were away on a trip one time and when I came home she said to me what happened on the plane such and such a day and such and such a time and uh, there had been a very serious weather implication and uh, after she questioned her pastor's wife and then then she told her she said while i was in prayer the lord revealed to me that your life was threatened by and she said i didn't even know you were on a plane at the time but your life was threatened by an incident of weather regarding a plane and i was fasting and i began to intercede with the lord the same woman, who is now on another very lengthy fast, and I'm not talking about lengthy in four days and five days. I'm talking about lengthy. While she was praying this week, or last week it would be, this is Tuesday, she said the face of a woman who had drifted from God and become very involved in her business and uh, a very wonderful person that had been brought to the Lord under unusual circumstances, said this woman's face was illuminated to her And she was praying, and she said, Lord, I want you to do something. You see, God's very intelligent. You do not have to scream, cry, plead, and beg. You can talk to him. But there are ways to clear out the obstacles in your life, and that comes by fasting, the Word, obedience to the Word, and intercessory prayer. Intercession is when God listens to you and acts on your Word. Meditation is when you listen to God and act on his word. And if you put the two of them together, you've got a power line. And this woman was praying and she said, Now, Lord, I want you, this woman happened to be a draftsman, the lady she was praying for. She said, I want you to illuminate with a spotlight where she is and where she is working at this moment and reveal to her that you are searching her heart. And then she recalled, she said, God, I remember when she was brought into this truth that God spoke to her in a dream and it so stirred her that she was moved. So she said, God, I want you to speak to her in a dream. Would you believe in a matter of two or three days, I've forgotten what she said, two days, the next day, whatever. But anyway, the lady called Diane. She said, Diane, you're not going to believe what has happened to me. She said, what? She said, I must come and tell you. Diane sat very calmly and smiled as the woman told her the story. She said, I was working at my drafting table. And suddenly, she said, I don't know where it came from or how it happened, but it seemed there was an illumination of a spotlight. And I was so aware of the presence of God. She said, Diane, you just can't believe what it did to me. And I was shaken. And then she went home from work. And that very night, God gave her a dream. She said, I arose from that dream. And Diane, you are looking at a changed woman. I don't know how it happened, but I do know God spoke to me. That is not Daniel. That's Diane. That is not the prophet who prophesied about all the kingdoms of the world. It is not the prophet who sought the Lord with as much as three weeks of fasting and more and hours of prayer and who would not be detoured even though there was tremendous responsibility on him. He was not a monk. He was actually involved in politics and government. He was not a compromiser, but he was in contact. And God spoke through him, to him, by him, and for him. And you will find the source of his power in the first chapter of Daniel when he said, I will refuse the dainties and separate myself. And the Lord quickened unto him skills and knowledge and wisdom And put him in a very precarious position and honored him with revealing all the way to the end of the age but this wasn't Daniel this was Diane and who knows if she pursues that course what she will mean to the church in this day without the book of Daniel we would have very little light on revelation. I don't know how far I'll get with this lesson, but I just want to get far enough to get you started on the journey. Let me give you a quote from John Wesley, who was credited with being one of the greatest evangelists the world has ever known. And I reread this quote today out of this little book, God's Chosen Fast, and I choose to introduce it to you Pentecostals. John Wesley asked the question to a group of believers one time, why are we not more holy? This was his answer. Chiefly because we are enthusiasts looking for the end without the means. That was not a Pentecostal, that was a Methodist. Why are we not more apostolic? Could it be because we are more enthusiast than we are realist? Always looking for the end without meeting the means. Fasting is very scriptural. You combine it with prayer and you have a tremendous force. But fasting alone is powerful. Fasting is an unuttered, unspoken prayer. I struggled many years with the fact that I thought fasting would do very little good and I don't know that it did me a whole lot of good because I really kind of just starved myself and felt like I had to do it. because everybody's supposed to do it, and felt like the only way you could really be effective in fasting is if you could go shut yourself up in a cave somewhere and do nothing but pray for three days, five days, ten days, twenty days. But I have learned, and my husband, who has taught me so much, has taught me the art of suspending prayers before God. There are ways to pray. There are ways to pray until your prayers become a part of your subconscious. And to where they are forever suspended before the throne of God. I don't know that I shared this with you last year, but I have learned. And I I would never, never, never want you to think I have become a super spiritual person. Rather, I have become so keenly aware of my lack of power with God. Before I'm through, you're going to see what I'm talking about. But I've learned that you can pray and meditate. We have tried to separate it all. You pray, then you read your Bible and you fast when the pastor tells you to. You better get it all together. It's part of the arsenal. You don't take the gun out without the bullets. And you don't have the bullets do anything without the fire. And you got to put it all together to make it work. But fasting and praying, back to my idea of suspending prayer, you can actually pray until it has become so much a part of you and you have related that prayer to the Word of God. To pray selfishly and with no knowledge of the Word, you're just aiming at whatever and if ever and you probably won't hit anything. And that kind of praying destroys faith. We've had a lot of praying among us that has not helped us a good spiritual discipline but it has not helped us because it has not been mixed with faith and faith cometh from the word if you want something done you get a hold of the word of god and see what it says about the circumstance find out the promises of god and then you start praying accordingly according to the word and you meditate that word my my words have little power his words never fail Amen. And you can pray until that prayer becomes such a part of your subconscious that you can actually wake in the night. And your prayer is rolling in your mind. It is embedded in you. It is no effort to bring it to mind. Your subconscious mind that you that lives way deep. Three o'clock in the morning is a time that for the last little while I often wake. It's, it's been, this has been a lesson. It's been an odyssey. I told you, I'm, I'm on a journey and I'm only pointing you down a road I'm trying to travel. But it has been amazing to me that if I close my mind with that prayer, that prayer just laying before God, that I wake up and I have actually heard my inner man speaking with tongues in intercession as it constantly laid that prayer before God. But I want to tell you about fasting. We all live very demanding lives, very demanding lives. Even when you're in church work, it is very demanding. It is hard to stay spiritual in church work. That's true because it's dangerous. You deal with concepts and you say spiritual things so much that if you're not careful, It becomes a routine instead of a life. So fasting, even when you are busy, if you are conscious of the purpose, and I wish I had time. Really, I told my husband I need about four days, but I'm not going to have it, and I couldn't take it. It, it if If you know your purpose, I've gotten where I even write it down. Not because God will forget, but because I need to specifically know Then when I am busy, that fasting body becomes on edge and appetites are whetted and it becomes a suspended prayer. Matthew 6, and and I'm going to give you many scriptural references. You can turn, but I'm not going to for lack of time. Matthew chapter 6 tells us, and you've heard this said, he said, when you fast when you give when you pray not if you do when so it is a scriptural admonition it is a scriptural command from jesus himself matthew chapter 9 verse 15 says then will they fast when the bridegroom is gone then will the disciples fast the first church did it the bridegroom hasn't come back yet so i am still under the mandate of fasting and praying now i want to mention something to you because i had an experience with this years ago mark chapter 9 verses 18 through 29 is a very good study on intensity of prayer and lack of power because of it now some of you will know all of you may not that there is a Quite a debate among the scholars. This is the story of when the father brought the child that was casting himself into the fire and hurting himself. And uh, when they brought him and the disciples were powerless to cast out the demon. And we have quoted it many times. Jesus said he spoke to the the boy and, and the spirit left. And he said, this kind comes only by fasting and prayer. Prayer and fasting. Now, there are many, many of the manuscripts, the ancient manuscripts that do not include the fasting. Now, somewhere, if you study this, you're going to hear somebody tell you that that is not in the original manuscript text. It says this cometh out by prayer. But if you will study the word study of what Jesus was actually saying, while he may not have said, I don't know whether he may not have said fasting, the discipline he was referring to was his lifestyle commitment of discipline to prayer and if you follow his lifestyle commitment of discipline to prayer you cannot help but note that it was connected with fasting the man who said this that you must be disciplined to the kind of prayer that can bring this kind of power also fasted for 40 days Now then, uh, the fact that we will fast is important. I've already mentioned to you my desperation. I am desperate. I, I don't know. I have been seeking the Lord for well over a year. I want signs, miracles, and wonders. I want them. That's not selfish. It's scriptural. I am entitled to them. I have prayed by the hour. I have fasted I have asked God why why I have an illness in my own family that is just it's hopeless without an intervention of God I have people that are so close to me who are dying and I don't have any power to do anything I don't like that fasting is important the reason i know it's important you look at the men who fasted in the scripture it was the men of miracles and wonders paul daniel moses elijah nehemiah ezra you name them they all were fasting people i want to see signs and miracles listen to me united pentecostal church We are fooling ourselves if we think that we are in last-day revival. We're in the last days. God is in last-day revival, but we're not having it yet. Uh, Is that true, or am I being too negative? I'm not saying we aren't doing anything. We are having two and three and six and four, but that doesn't sound like what I read. We say we're apostolic. They had as many as 3,000, 5,000, 8,000 whole cities. Paul went in and there was one situation where three whole cities all turned to the Lord. Was it Peter? One of them went into a, uh, to an area and three whole cities. I haven't seen that in Louisiana, but I want to see it. Do you know what miracle signs and wonders are? They are the dinner bell for revival. You don't worry about advertising. You don't worry about getting the best singers nor the best preacher. You have a man throw down his crutches and go running out of your church building and down the streets and telling people that had known him for 20 years as a hopeless cripple that God healed him in your church and you can't hold the people. And then you won't have to argue then you won't have to point out why we do this and why we don't do that. There will be such a hunger for the magnificence of God created in the hearts of people that they will seek him with all their hearts. And I must rush on. And I'm going to give you a lot in a little bit of time right here. Jesus Christ was baptized of John in the Jordan. At this point in his life, we know he was totally God all along. But somehow or other we had to understand that he was also totally human and God did many things for us to understand that. Now remember this, he didn't become a man to understand how we felt. He became a man so we could understand that he understood. Amen. All right. Right. He had no need to understand anything. And so there are many things that happened in his life for our help. He was baptized of John and he saw the dove descend and he received the fullness of power or anointing for his ministry. He received the anointing at his baptism, but the miraculous ministry was not in operation until after his fasting. He left his baptism and the Spirit the scripture says, drove him, or he was compelled of the Spirit, and he went into a wilderness for an extended time of fasting. And there is where we have the beautiful example of fasting and prayer with the Word. And there's one little clause that just stood out to me today like I have never seen it. After he had been fasting, and I'm sure he was in much communion with the Father at that point, and he had used the Word on the devil... You note that it says, and the devil left him. Now, I get tired of being tormented. Maybe you're not, but the devil bombards me. He comes against me. He wages war on me. Brother Tenney has said it publicly. I probably never would have until he did, but he has made a statement publicly two or three times. The last 18 months of our life have been some of the toughest, if not the toughest time we have ever lived through we have had warfare direct from satan himself in ways i had never dreamed of he has bombarded us from every side and every kind of situation now don't worry about us the lord's helping us we're making it but i'm telling you we overlook the fact sometime that we're in spiritual warfare and if you want to be assured that you are you set your face to seek god and you will suddenly meet the adversary like you have never met him before But the devil left him after an extended length of prayer and fasting and using the word. Now then, quickly think with me. You probably don't have time to turn to all this. Acts chapter 13. Before they appointed anybody to a special ministry and leadership, and this is the story of the first missionary journey, Paul's first missionary journey, they set aside a time and they ministered or worshipped before the Lord with fasting. All fasting does not have to be done with mourning. There are times to fast and mourn. There are times to fast and worship. And I have made a little discovery on my own. I have discovered the more joy I have when I fast, the easier the fast. And that's reasonable because joy does something to the physical body that gives energy. And so they ministered, or they worshiped before the Lord and fasted, and that was before they sent them out. Acts chapter 14, you will see this being followed as a pattern because before they appointed leaders in the churches, they fasted and prayed. Now, you know, we'd rather have a dinner. We have dinners and banquets until, honestly, you just get gorged. Why have we missed this, Sister Cox? I don't know. But if we want to honor somebody or we want to have something and they're going, we have going away dinners. Not going away, not going away fastings. <laughs> but we're apostolic. Oh, don't forget we're apostolic. Going I'll tell you something else. Any Sunday school teacher, Sunday school superintendent, deacon, board member, secretary, custodian or whatever, whatever place of service in the church, if they are appointed after they and the other leadership have been in fasting and prayer, it might take care of a lot of difficulty in churches. If you have honestly fasted and prayed before the Lord before you accept an appointment, you would be much less likely to quit it if you got miffed. This 13th chapter of the book of Acts, when they had fasted and prayed before they appointed them to this new ministry of missionary work, do you know what happened as a result of that worship and fasting? These were just ordinary people. I meant to us, they are the Apostle Paul. He wasn't the, uh, he was the apostle in a sense, but he wasn't the apostle with the full credentials that we know him as then. He was a young fella in the church, been teaching the Sunday school class, been teaching down in Antioch. Ordinary people, fasting, praying before the Lord. You know what happened? From that one season of fasting and praying before the Lord, the gospel spread clear across Asia and Europe. In power, too. Tell you what else happened. Two-thirds of the New Testament was written as a result of that siege of fasting. You will never be able to forget this today. And it's not because I'm saying, but it's because it is what the Spirit is saying to us. We have become lazy, slovenly. We eat too much. We are addicted to our appetites. If we don't get our meal, we get sluggish, and we've got to take a meal, and we've got to eat. And we rush away from services to beat the crowd to a restaurant. We have become slaves to an appetite. Joel chapter 2, and we love Joel chapter 2 because we quote it in Acts chapter 2, and we love, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. But three times before that happened, they had said fasting. They said one time, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, and we've preached it, yay, these many years, time and time and time again, and quote it constantly. But he said three times that they were to proclaim a fast and mourn and weep before the Lord. And we spend more time talking about the outpouring of the Spirit than we do in what brings the outpouring of the Spirit. There is a study of the proclaimed fast in the Scripture, and I am anxious for this. I don't know why we've got to where we feel like we infringe on people if we demand anything of them. Jehoshaphat called everybody to fast, and the way I read it, the children were included, too. Now, I'm not talking about being abusive to children, but I want to tell you something. When you try to teach children to adhere to the rules of the church without a touch of the Spirit to illuminate, and we teach them they have to obey the rules, and we don't ever even let them engage in the beauty and the strength of worship. I saw something, and I'm going to tell you about it. I hope you aren't offended. I really can't help it if you are, because it has stirred me. I saw a video clip of a a Catholic church, not in this country, a Catholic church where the Holy Ghost had fallen on them. They do not have all of the light, all of the truth. Understand I have said that. I've cleared it with you. But I watched as I saw mothers holding Two and three children strung out on each side of them, dancing before the Lord in worship. The little children were as lost in worship as the mothers were. And it has eaten at me. We say, you got to do this because the pastor says so. you got to do this because the scripture teaches it. You have to be separated from the world because of this. But have we taught them in tenderness and with care, not abusively? that the Lord will touch them, that they can ask and hear from God. And have we taught them the beauty and strength of worship? The corporate fast, Jehoshaphat proclaimed a corporate fast. He called everybody to fasting. I am so anxious for us to have corporate fasting and it works in Ethiopia. And by the way, we're going to have an Ethiopian lady who was a princess of the royal family We will have her speaking at our women's conference on the revival in Ethiopia. For two solid weeks every year, every member, 120,000 strong, not two days, not three days. And we think we have done something if we ask our church to fast three days. But in Ethiopia, the entire church fasts and pray solidly without a break for two weeks. Every week. Year. Could it be that that's why in 15 or 20 years they have grown from nothing to 120,000 strong and where miracles are absolutely so marvelous it's hard for a Western mind to believe them? The corporate fast was proclaimed by Ezra. The corporate fast was proclaimed in Nineveh. History tells us that at certain points in the history of Britain They proclaimed days of fasting and prayer, and a footnote was written in history that the French did not invade after they had a day of mourning and fasting and praying. Fasting humbles ourselves. Daniel said, I will humble myself. Psalms 69 and 10 said, I will humble myself. The same word is often translated, I will afflict myself, I will humble myself, I will mourn. Ezra said, I fasted and I mourned over the faithlessness of God's people. Where are our fasters and where are our mourners over the faithlessness among us? (coughs) When you humble yourself, fasting has a way, now if you're going to just starve one day and Just because you had to, forget it. A lot of times it's no different from a Pharisee. And you remember when the Pharisees said, I fast twice a week and I pray. Scripture said he prayed within himself. That's about as far as it got. But real fasting has a way of humbling this old flesh. A person can hardly fast and be weak from a long fast and have a hot temper. A person who has been or who has undergone or is undergoing a lengthy fast before the Lord really. And you've got to combine prayer and intercession and the word with it, but you're not going to find them full of pride. And if we ever do away with pride, we will have no more strife and division. We will have no more judging. And when there's no strife, and there's no judging, and there's no division, only God's magnificence will be seen, and it will come with fasting. I want to give you just a few, just a few little brief looks at the spiritual danger of being full. I'm sorry about this, but it's scripture did you know that scripturally when people were living in plenty there was always sexual perversion and looseness and america has gone that route i am deeply concerned and i am fasting and praying for our country i refuse to limit god's spiritual scope to me my for us for no more I am taught to pray for my nation and those in leadership. Twenty-nine states are now dependent upon gambling to keep them afloat financially. And we're facing the same crisis here in our own state. That stinks to God. Sodom... Ezekiel you see all we ever think about Sodom is the homosexuality Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 49 you check it said there was a surfeiting eating abundance of bread and fullness the dangers of fullness Deuteronomy 8 chapter chapter 8 verses 11 through 14 and I've heard my husband quote this so many times Moses said when you come into the land you be very very careful you take heed that you don't eat and be full and in that full state forget God and His purpose. Exodus, I believe it's chapter 18, I'm not sure. Israel said they were full of bread. They, they, they said, why'd you, why'd you bother us? Don't, don't bother us. We were so satisfied. We had plenty to eat down in Egypt. You know what happened when they got full? They didn't want to go anywhere. They'd rather stayed in bondage. You see, you get lazy. You get gluttonous. You're more concerned with the frivolities of life than you are the realities of life. And we Pentecostals better be very careful that we're not only full physically, but we're full spiritually and we don't want to go anywhere we'd rather just stay in our old ruts and enjoy the enthusiasm without reaching the end that God has destined us for. Numbers chapter 11, they said, we don't like this new food. Said, we'd rather had all that food we had back in Egypt, feeding them on manna, simple food, angels food but it had everything they needed but they said it, it just don't satisfy me you know they didn't want to go anywhere new and they didn't want to eat anything new and i let that just go where it will Psalms chapter 78 Psalms chapter 106 says that they got their desires but they had lean souls now then, I, and I must move very quickly. I'll be through in five minutes. You must fast to be heard of God. Scripture bears that out, that fasting enhances the ability for you to be heard from God. Now, you know, fasting is not to bribe God. Now, you've got to understand that. You don't fast to bribe God. And, and I'm just going to briefly touch on this, but I hope it will open up something for you. You don't bribe God, but there are scriptural places where God repented. Now, how does God repent? Scripture also says, Is God a man that He repents? God really doesn't repent, but what He does, you see, God operates by the laws of the Spirit, the eternal laws of the Word. Where there is sin, there has to be judgment. Has to be. But where there is repentance, there has to be mercy. Always. And so the way God repents is He doesn't change, but He changes us so that He can act the way He would like to. Now, does that make sense? Our fasting changes us because you can't fast, not, not really doing it unto the Lord, without repenting. So when you do, then it puts God in a position to act from a moral standpoint and give mercy, even though he had pronounced judgment. And we must fast. That is part of it. You have to fast to be heard, right motives. And, and I, I can see I'm just going to leave you all with just a portion of this. When you fast and pray with all your heart, you see, you can't just fast, you know, just fast. But you've got to get your heart into it. Check Joel and check chapter 29 of Jeremiah. You've got to seek him with your whole heart. Esther did and changed the whole course of a nation. Daniel did it and changed the whole course of a nation. Ezra did it and rerouted the people. Nehemiah did it and did a miracle of building up a broken down place of God. I'll tell you something else we're living in a day of the phenomena of hunger strikes i have been convicted there are people that have sat in the prisons in ireland but tell what that says to me they are so committed to what they believe in that they will afflict themselves to bring into effect what they believe is justly theirs i have been promised that he would do signs and miracles and healings for the believer. And I don't have it, but I want it. And I must afflict myself until I have repented and brought myself into line to where I've opened myself as a channel, as a free flow. Believe me, there's not a lack of demons that need to be cast out. But there is a lack of power to cast them out. There's not a lack of hurting sick people to be healed. But where is my power? And I'm not putting a guilt trip on you. I'm taking every bit of this to me. Prayer is warfare, my friend. It is not always. It is. Prayer is partly a child coming to a father who delights to do good things. But prayer is also warfare. Daniel fought against the the principalities of the air and it hindered the prayers until he fasted if at first you try and don't succeed try fasting judges chapter 20 i think it is. I'm, yeah it's chapter 20 they went out to battle twice and they came back in defeat what did they say well i guess it just wasn't intended for me to have that they added fasting to it and they went out and had a victory you are in a warfare The enemy comes against you as an adversary. You must plead your cause before the court of high glory. Avenge me of my adversary oh god the enemy is pounding me he is attacking me avenge me it is not that his ear is heavy that he cannot hear but there is a warfare in heaven and there is something about the umbling of my spirit that drills a hole when i fast and goes right between the adversary and touches and opens up the way for god's power to flow through to me The violent take it by force. The violent take it by force. In the face of defeat, you can fast. When prayer has failed, add fasting to it. When they were facing danger back to the trip to Jerusalem, what did they do? They called a proclaimed fast. You got trouble in your family, proclaim a fast. The whole family, even the cats and dogs can fast. They did it in Nineveh. They didn't even feed the cows that day. They mooed and their mooings were heard as mornings before the throne of God because they were serious about destruction. And I want you to know there are people sitting here who have family members who are hooked on drugs and hooked on alcohol, families that are falling apart, illnesses that are going to take people to their grave unnecessarily. Churches that are not growing, churches that are in strife, and we sit helplessly by and say, well, we prayed, well, fast. Uh Daniel fasted to bring the promises into focus. He said, God, I'm going to study your word, and I'm going to find out what you have said is going to come to pass, and then I'm going to fast until I see it coming into focus. And he did it, and he gave us the revelations that he had. And it came through much prayer and fasting and studying. Well, I haven't even touched on 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I wish you would read it. I wish you would study it. I wish it would become a part of you. It was a time of trouble and problems and fear, and they set themselves. You see, you don't stumble into a fast. You set yourself. Furthermore, there are ways to enter into a fast to where you can be more, more productive while you're in a fast. I don't have time to go into that. But they proclaimed a fast. They sought God. And with all of your fasting and your intercession, you can check it repeatedly. There are time and time again, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Isaiah chapter 58, the classic chapters on fasting. They always connect with rejoicing and praise morning fasting and praising the word is always worked in there you put it all together and God can do and will do great things and I close with this Joel's prophecy is not fulfilled my friend it hasn't all been fulfilled. If it had been fulfilled back then, why did they say it happened on the day of Pentecost? We have rejoiced about it being quoted on Acts in Acts chapter 2 from Joel chapter 2. You better read verse 39. The promise, the promise is unto you and to your children and all those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The same chapter that promises the outpouring of the Holy Ghost says there's going to be signs and wonders and prophesyings and visions and dreams. Preachers and your wives, we need to fast and seek God. Families need to fast and seek God. Joel chapter 2 speaks of a desolation in the land. There was no wine, there was no bread, there was no oil, and they didn't get any either until after they had fasted and mourned and prayed, and then he said, I will restore Oh, he said, if you will humble yourselves in fasting and prayer, I will make the wine of the Spirit, if you will talk in terms of the New Testament, to be abundant. There will be bread for all. The oil of gladness will be there, and you will greatly rejoice. But it only comes after a dedicated fast.